The Law Report with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. Well, this evening we're focusing on rental property law and conveyancing. And joining me in our Cape Town studios this evening are Marlon Chevalu. He's an attorney practicing as Marlon Chevalu and Associates in Cape Town. And Frank Holland, an attorney and conveyancer practicing in Cape Town as Frank Holland and Associates. Marlon and Frank, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Corin. Great to be here. Thanks, Corin. Good to be back. It's been a while for you, Marlon. And Frank, gosh, it's a year minus a day that you were with us last time. It's about time you were back. Anniversary edition. Absolutely. Well, if you have any questions or comments, you can call us on 0892 10 2010. 0892 10 2010. In the present circumstances of our journey over... I can't stand this pretentious accent just because he's been promoted. We all know where he's from. I know. It's just a fact. Listen, I can hear you. Don't make me take my T-shirt. You with me? <laughs> And raising from the fire, the phoenix fights the flame. In today's hectic business environment, slip-ups do happen, so we're reminding you now that business TV license payments are due by the end of the month. Pay promptly, avoid financial penalties and embarrassment. TV licenses, pay yours, make a difference. The Law Report with Karen Key. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're talking rental property law again this evening, but we'll also be taking a look at conveyancing. And just to remind you that conveyancing is the legal process whereby ownership in immovable South African property is transferred from one person to another, as well as related aspects such as the registration of mortgage bonds and real rights in respect of immovable property. Now, immovable property is any land, whether improved or not, such as a dwelling, a house, a farm, a vacant earth, earth or a sectional title unit and a conveyancing transaction involves a number of steps which normally begins with a deed of sale and continues through to the registration of transfer of ownership or the registration of the mortgage bond in the deeds office the reconciliation of finances and the ultimate payment of the purchase price to the seller and a conveyancer is an attorney with a postgraduate qualification who by law is the only person who can register property transactions in the deeds offices. And that's what Frank is and that's why he's with us this evening. Now, we've had a few emails which we'll deal with in the meantime. But if you have some questions, you can call us on 0892 10 2010. Leave your name and number and we will call you back. Right, gentlemen, our first email actually came in this evening when I got to the office. I found it there. It's from Costa, and he says, I'm writing to inquire about the following. Is it permissible for a board of trustees of a block of flats to require tenants to sign an undertaking that they will abide by the house rules? And should they default, the trustees will have the right to evict them? And what recourse do the tenants have in such a situation? Now, I must tell you, when I showed this to Marlon and Frank, Marlon was very excited because he, this was really one of his pet peeves, I think. Marlon? It is. It's, it's a lovely question. Um, very simply put, the tenant has all the rights in the world. And for one very simple reason, no trustee, no body corporate can take any action against a tenant because there's no legal connection between the owner of a unit or a body corporate or a trustee. The only action that can ever be taken is between a trustee and the owner of the property. Only the owner can take action against the tenant. So whether a tenant comes in and signs an agreement that he's abiding by the house rules has absolutely nothing and has no veracity at all if it's signed and pleaded upon and given to the trustees of the body corporate. So very simply put, Costa, you, if you have a tenant and you're an owner of the property, you as the owner remain liable to make sure that your tenant 
looks after the property, doesn't cause a nuisance to the neighbors, etc. But any recourse in South African law is only between the body corporate and the owner, and only between the owner and the tenant. So if the tenant is causing any drama, it's up to the owner to make want if he wants to remove him from the, the flat, not up to the body corporate or the trustees. They have no right whatsoever. Okay. They can take action against the owner for not fulfilling his promise, but even that is a bit difficult. There is no South African case law that I'm aware of in the last 14 years where I've seen a body corporate evict a tenant because it just doesn't exist in terms of a relationship in South African law. So if this is happening, I suggest the tenant speaks to the owner. Absolutely. And if that isn't, doesn't resolve itself, maybe um, take some legal advice. Absolutely. But whatever they've signed, it holds no force or effect because it just is not legally permissible. Well, that's good news for the tenant. Indeed. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Marlon, I think another one for you. It says, this is from Martha. She says, I just signed a new lease agreement, but now they're charging me 500 Rand for a contract draw. I refuse to sign. Am I supposed to pay it, though I never asked them to draw a contract for me? Very simply put, uh, presumably it was signed now recently, which means in terms of the Consumer Protection Act. It doesn't even feature the Consumer Protection Act. Very simply, if you are leasing a property, invariably the landlord or the rental agent will prepare the lease. They're entitled to prepare the lease. And in fact, the tenant, it's in his interest to have a lease agreement, which completely encapsulates the terms of the legal relationship between the landlord and the tenant or the lessor and the lessee. There is no law which negates the right to charge as long as it's a reasonable charge. So it's 500 Rand for the drawing up the contract, do you reckon very, reasonable? reasonable? Very reasonable. Okay. So basically, Martha, you have to pay it, I'm afraid. And it's in her interest to have it. Mm. It's in her interest to have it because that becomes the sole memorial, that becomes the actual document that you rely upon to entrench your rights in terms of your occupation. So for 500 Rand, it buys more than just peace of mind. Right, okay. Right, Frank, I think the next one's for you. It's from Bernard. It's quite a long story. He says, I'm trying to assist an elderly lady, now 77 years old, with a problem she experienced when purchasing a unit in a sectional title building. The sectional title building has one registered condition, and that is that only persons over the age of 50 years may be occupiers, owners, or tenants. She purchased it from a person whose details are on the offer to purchase. She later discovered that the seller is not the registered owner, but had purchased it from a deceased estate, and at the time, no transfer had taken place. The property was sold to the previous seller by, by a specific um, company who were liquidated, and the documents were taken by the sheriff of the court. This has now taken many months, and the transfer to the seller has still not taken place. And what he wants to know is, is the offer to purchase a valid document if the person listed as the owner is not the registered owner? And even today, no transfer by the deceased estate has been registered to any other owner at the deeds office. There's two more questions, but I think let's just go with that one first. Let's deal with that one first, Bernard. Um, okay, so as strange as it may seem, the seller can in fact not necessarily be the registered owner. So uh, I could buy Corin's property today and sell it to Marlon tomorrow, uh, which would be perfectly valid in law, despite the fact that I'm yet to take transfer. Um, what this would normally entail would be a back-to-back -back transfer at the deeds office. In other words, the transfers between Corin and myself and myself and Marlon. So there would, would still be place. two lots of payments made as if, there was, as if your name had been at some point on the document. Correct. Okay. Um, transfer duties, etc., would be paid by me in respect of the transaction from you and by Marlon in respect of the transfer from me. Um, so to answer the first portion of that question, Bernard, the offer, uh, we haven't seen it, so you know uh, there may well be other aspects to it that come into play, but yes, uh, the document may well be valid 
with the uh, the seller being someone who had purchased it via the um, the the auctioneer that you mentioned. Um, so yes, it could well be valid. But he, he says here that even today, no transfer by the deceased estate has been registered to the other owner. So there, that middleman is still missing. That that transfer hasn't been done to the middleman yet. Correct. Correct. So uh, nonetheless, the contract that uh, that's been entered into may well be binding. It's a case of finding our seller and uh, and enforcing the transaction. Okay. Question two is in the small print in the offer to purchase. It reads on occupation, the risk of ownership therefore shall pass to the purchaser, from which date the purchaser be responsible for all taxes and other charges levied upon the property, and this includes levies in the case of sectional title plus value added tax thereon. I think this question then continues, um, Corin. If the date of occupation does not coincide with the date of registration of transfer, the party enjoying occupation of the property whilst registered in the name of the other party shall pay to such party a rental of, it says 10% year Bernard, but I'm assuming 1% of the purchase price, calculated on a daily basis, payable from the date of occupation monthly in advance at the conveyances office. Is this what we would normally refer to as occupational interest? 100%. Okay. So... Uh, this is just a different way of, of uh, phrasing an occupational interest. It's quite common in, in auction-type agreements, and 1% of the purchase price would then be the uh, the monthly occupational rental. It would be calculated on that basis, as opposed to uh, it being simply a market-related monthly rental figure. So um, the, the rental would then be 1% of the purchase price, in addition to which possession passes, which means that this poor purchaser is responsible also for rates, levies, etc., etc. Now, if that isn't a typo and it is actually 10%, that's not that's not right. It certainly isn't right. So it should be 1%. 1% would be, uh, would be you know, th that would start coming in line with market conditions. 10%, uh, 10 per, perhaps 10% per annum. It may well be 10% per annum, but, uh, you know, generally it's a 1% of the purchase price per month. Okay, because he says 10% of the purchase price calculated on a daily basis payable from the date of occupation monthly in advance i mean that i'm hoping bernard that's a typo yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so wants to know is the original offer to purchase a valid legal document all right well we've run through that and, and as i said it is indeed um possible to contract despite not having taken transfer so it may well be uh bernard that your uh, the the uh, elderly woman that you're looking to assist has purchased this property and that that is a valid agreement so she may well have obligations in that regard. Um, and I'm assuming, because your next part of the question is, the old lady is aware of paying occupational rental, but can she be held responsible for paying the levy, uh, even if it was the small print in the offer to purchase? Is the levy not the responsibility of the deceased estate? And the Until answer... transfer to the middleman, basically. Well, uh, if, if the old lady is in occupation, she would be liable for occupational rental in terms of that agreement. So but what about all the other things? Uh, the taxes and the levy and everything else, as well as the occupational interest. That's been agreed upon. That's been agreed upon. If she's entered into that agreement, she uh, she may well be liable for those charges. And he says it seems to him to be a rather unethical business practice. You know, uh, an offer to purchase of this nature does unfortunately burden a purchaser uh, tremendously. Um, it would it appears almost that the that the initial um, well that the that the that the purchaser, this purchase is purchased using the uh, uh, the auctioneer's offer to purchase from the deceased estate, but it appears to contain some pretty burdensome terms. And unfortunately, Bernard, if she's entered into that agreement, you're kind of stuck. 
the uh, the seller may well enforce that. And you can't use the Consumer Protection Act in this regard at all? No. Marlon, you my consumer guy, let me, let me let you jump in here. I wouldn't. Firstly, um, even if it was from an auction perspective, auctions are specifically excluded from the CPA. Oh, are there really? Sales of immovable property. But even ignoring the aspect of the, of the auction, the fact is that in order for a consumer to fall within the Consumer Protection Act, the supplier needs to be providing services in the ordinary course of its business. And unless this person who was selling the property does so for a living, I do not believe it to be anything more than a once-off transaction. And once-off transactions do not fall within the CPA. Oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> so you're not giving us very much good news here tonight, guys, really. It's all getting very depressing. The night is young. Oh, the night is young. Okay. Well, now we had an email from Sitem Biso. And Sitem Biso, if you are listening, uh, hopefully if we don't get to all the points you're wanting to make, maybe you can give us a call on 0892102010 and we could try and help you further. But basically what Sitem Biso says is, I made an offer to purchase a property. It's nine months down the line. It involves an estate, another one of these deceased estates things. It's not getting completed, and I feel as if I've been done wrong as it has taken this long. I could have bought another house by now. Why can't I pull out of the deal? Okay. Now, you've had a look. He sent through the, the offer to purchase and everything else, and um, you had a look at that, Frank. Okay, so it's to be so, and, and uh, the first thing to bear in mind is for, uh, and for the public at large, when purchasing property from a deceased estate, uh, where there's a deceased estate involved, the master of the high court needs to consent to the transfer of the property, which may well involve um, uh, there's a liquidation and a distribution account to be drawn and, and various steps that need to be undertaken. So the process can be dramatically delayed. And uh, as a purchaser, where you are purchasing from a deceased estate, that's something worth bearing in mind. And that's almost what happened. The previous one we were talking about was also a deceased estate with the Correct. old lady and the wife was taking so long to transfer it. So, Sitembisa, the, the, the first thing to, to have a look at is what the, the, the terms of the agreement were with your seller. And it sounds like nine months is an inordinately lengthy uh, passage of time. It may well be possible for you to take some legal action on that contract along the lines of um, putting the, the seller to terms. The seller's obligation, of course, is to pass transfer to you. And, uh, and implicit in that is to pass transfer within a reasonable period of time. Now, uh, an average transfer process would be in the region of 8 to 12 weeks. This has been three times as long. And uh, you would be within your rights to address a letter to that seller saying, seller, I'm providing you with a further period within which to finalize your obligations in terms of passing transfer, failing which uh, I reserve my rights to cancel this agreement. And, of course, then you can purchase another property. If you pull out of an agreement like that, are you liable for any penalties of any kind? The the the, the uh, defaulting party would be liable perhaps for uh, agent's commission if there were commission involved, And the defaulting party would be Sitem Biso? No, in no. this case, the defaulting party would be the seller. Because the defaulting party in the sense that they haven't fulfilled their okay. obligations. So he has got some recourse So here. there is potentially some recourse Okay, because it is, as you say, it's, it's not exactly a timeless arrangement. This has gone on for rather too long. Right, we have uh, another question from Shineo, and I think Shineo's on the line. Shineo, good evening. Uh, good evening, Karunayesh. I'm fine, how are you? I'm good. Okay, so you have a whole story also with purchasing a property. Do you yes. want to just tell the attorneys about that, and maybe they can help you? Yes, yes. Okay, so tell them your story. Uh, can I go and, t and tell my story? Yes, please do. Okay. Uh, in 20... 
2009, uh, I was looking to forward to purchase a property, of which I uh, passed one of the houses in Mabopane in Pretoria, where I saw a house that I liked. Unfortunately, through my inexperience as a first-time buyer, uh, I didn't go and inspect the property from outside. As I'm not an architect, but I was, I was happy with the way the property looked from outside. Uh, I, in good faith, I agreed to all the uh, what was the estate agency telling me about the, the property, how does the property look like from inside. Uh, knowingly that obviously the bank, because I was purchasing the property through the bank, uh, they will have to send the evaluator to come and have a look at the at the property. And if they're happy with the property, obviously they're going to, to purchase the property for me. Uh, okay, uh, I did my application, of which it was approved by one of the banks uh, in South Africa. I don't know if it's the right thing to, to mention the name of the no, bank. It's fine. It's, no, it's fine. You just tell no, don't, you don't have to mention the name of the bank. I don't have to mention no. the name of the bank, no. will it? No, no, that's okay. fine. Okay, well, what I did, uh, uh, I, I did the application somewhere in uh, November 29, 2009. On December, I was called by the bank to come and sign the offer to purchase. Uh, I was just excited that I'm going to have a roof, a roof on top of my head for the property. I went on and signed the property. As the property was described to me as a three-bedroom house, a dining room, a garage, a toilet, and uh, with an, another, uh, with an empty bathroom. I signed for the property. Uh, in 2010, around April, that particular bank took me to a course, a borrower's education course, which was for one day, to understand about uh, the existing property and the new development. I remember I was taken to that course after I've signed an offer to purchase. Upon moving into the property, I, was, uh, I went for the course in April and I moved into the property in, 20, uh, in May 2010. Upon moving to the property, I found there were a lot of uh, irregularities inside the house, the broken basins, the broken uh, handle of the doors, on all of them in the bedroom. And apparently I found out there was no end-suit bathroom. Okay, uh, because I've signed an offer to purchase, I said to myself, these are the minor issues that I can fix. Uh, let me just uh, save some money. Uh, along the way, as, uh, in 2012, last year, I said, no, okay, maybe I cannot save enough money and I need the property to get fixed. Uh, let me go back to the bank because uh, I already, I'm already their client, that's how I'm paying the bond. I went to the bank and asked for, for a top-up loan on the property so that uh, I can renovate the property from inside. Uh, when I went to the bank, I uh, did the application for a bond top-up, but I was told by the bank or advised to, to bring an approved plan from the municipality. 
I asked them, look, uh, you bought the you as a bank bought the property for me. Uh, surely you should have the plan, an approved plan for the property that you have bought for me. Uh, surprisingly, the bank didn't have any. Somehow, uh, I went back. Uh, I went to the municipality. Remember, I bought the property for the bedroom house. I got an architect who drew the plan, looking at the house that I'm currently staying at. We drew the plan and I took it to the municipality. When I went to the municipality, the inspectors from the municipality looked at the plan and looking at the state number that I'm currently staying at. They asked me a question, what do I want to do at this state number? I said, no, I want to renovate. But when they look at the, at the plan of the house that I was proposing for them to, to approve it, they said to me, no, look, by the look of the plan, you, you don't want to renovate the property, but you want to extend. Remember, we still have to send you an inspector from the municipality to come and have, so that you don't, cr you don't cross our building lines on the stand number. Uh, I said, no, 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 no. Uh, I want to renovate. The, the house that I'm currently staying at, it's the, 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 it resembles exactly the, the one that I, I gave you on the plan. They said, no, 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 no. On this ten number, we don't have a three-bedroom house, but we only have a four-room house. Uh, I was quite amazed and shocked because, to me, it looked like there was a fraud, so, sort of a, a syndicate from the people who were selling the property uh, to the bank. And I was quite amazed that how did the bank approve this? Because it seems that the property that I'm buying doesn't have proper papers. Okay, so okay. I was going to ask, say just just to put that in perspective now. So basically, you applied to buy this house, the bank approved yes. your loan, and can I just ask the lawyers here? Does it not work when you apply for a loan that they send out an inspector to the house? Generally okay. speaking, they, they, they would do, Coronia, and um, the the purpose of that would be to value the property. Um, with a view to protecting the bank and ensuring that its security is there and uh, that the value of the property is sufficient to cover the amount of the loan that's going to be granted. Um, Janeo, can I ask you a quick question? Did you, okay. purchase, did you purchase this property directly from the bank or did the bank only grant you the loan? In other words, did you purchase it directly from the bank or was there a private seller involved that you purchased from with the bank granting you a loan? The... Uh I don't know. Let, let me. Uh, uh, maybe you can help me out. Uh, I, I wasn't sure. As I, I've said, I was a first-time buyer of the of the property. Yes. Uh, uh, let me just say, I went to the bank and requested all the documents that are inside my file for the property. No. What 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 what, he, what he's trying to ask you was: Did you go through an estate agent? Was there somebody else who was living in the house that you bought it from them? Yeah, there, there was somebody who was living in the house. Did you did you I buy it. did you buy it from the person who was living in the house before, or did was it something that the bank had repossessed that they'd taken it back because the person maybe couldn't pay the bond, and then you bought the house from the bank directly from the bank, or did you actually buy it from another person? I bought it uh, from the bank because I did my application to the bank because I've never met the, the previous owner. Okay, so there was no estate agent or anybody else selling the house. The bank there owned a, the bank owned the house. There was an estate agency for, uh, in the whole process. Okay, so the, so the bank owned the house. Yes. Okay, and you bought the house directly from the bank, so that must have been like a repossessed house or something. Yeah. Okay. I bought the house from All right. The bank. Okay. 
Frank. Okay, so so Shania, you mentioned here that you weren't advised by the bank on the implications of the footstool's clause. That, yes. that clause has been thrown around on Corin's show a good few times, mm. I know, but very quickly I'm going to just mention that the implications of that clause are such that uh, in South African property law, a purchaser is purchasing a property in the condition in which it stands, and, and therefore it's incumbent on a purchaser to make proper inquiries and inspections, and, and in the beginning of your story you did mention that you were... Uh, perhaps a little hasty in your decision to purchase. But having okay. said that, having said that, if it was the bank that was the seller, um, they, they should certainly have uh, explained to you the offer to purchase, taken you through the offer to purchase and the implications thereof. And um, I believe there was more of a duty of care on them than would have been the case had you purchased it from a, a one-off private seller. But they got all terribly clever three months later and sent him on a course three months after he'd signed the contract. It's kind of a bit late. I think that course that you're referring to uh, is the uh, the first-time home buyer course, which is education in uh, mm. managing a home loan, which is fine. But, uh, but Corinne, as you correctly say, uh, we're happy to uh, coach... Uh, to know in, in the repayment of the loan, but not so happy to give him the information that he perhaps required up front in, buying the house. in making his purchase decision. Now, what about the fact that what he bought wasn't what was what the municipality thought he bought? Well, the, 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 the bank should have known that, surely. The bank, and, and funnily enough, I don't think the valuator and the valuation process goes to the extent of actually uh, making sure that plans are approved. So they shouldn't, the bank, he, was con he said he was concerned the bank didn't have a copy of the plan. That isn't normal, that the bank would sit with a copy of the plan of the house. Not necessarily, although it yeah. seems that there was something on the file at the bank. From uh, Janelle's story, it says mm. he, there were some sketch plans and possibly uh, in the process of the repossession of the property and gathering the information required, it had come to the bank's attention that there wasn't uh, an approved plan for the for the property, in which case the bank should have disclosed that fact. So, um, Chenao, you know, uh, my, my advice to you, I think, in, in short, would be to seek um, some redress from potentially a, a banking ombud. Uh, you could approach the banking ombud to, to mediate the issue. Um, you would need to get a hold of a copy of that offer to purchase. Uh, hopefully you've okay. got something on record. Alternatively, look to the estate agents that were involved. Uh, it hasn't been five years. They should still have a copy of that documentation on their files. Um, okay. So a banking ombud is, is someone to approach. Um, and because there's a bank involved, the, the Consumer Protection Act could very well uh, assist you. Uh, you said 2009, Marlon, effective date? It's December, Pre December 2009. Yeah, I know. The effective date is the 1st of April 2011. We've missed the Consumer Protection Act. Okay, deadline, but there's still the Banking Ombud. Banking Ombud. Mm. But also it's a National Credit Act. Wouldn't it be? So it's a credit agreement, which means there would definitely be recourse at the, at the National Credit Regulator. National Pot potentially, but depends on, on the facts of the matter. But to me, it seems very clandestine. It just sounds a bit odd, mm. the whole thing. To now try and see if you can get your hands on a copy of that offer to purchase, and um, and approach a banking ombud for some for some guidance. Okay, can I just finish uh, uh, something quick okay. uh, on the documents that are found from the bank? Okay, uh, I even managed to get uh, what you call an uh, uh, evaluation report from the evaluator of the bank. On his declaration, he went on and say. We have evaluated the above property, but we have no interest in granting the above property alone. Uh, he didn't sign for the evaluation. 
and of which I'm surprised because I, I think the evaluator is the eye is the eye of, is the eyes of the bank. So I was just wondering how the, the uh, bank ended up approving my loan without even consulting me based on the re, uh, declaration that they got from the evaluator. Do you have a copy of that? Yes, I do. Okay, well, hang on to that because that could be some quite useful information to have. Frank, that just also okay. sounds totally bizarre. It's, it sounds uh, it sounds very sketchy. Um, you know, exactly. I, I think um, it points to the fact that perhaps the, almost certainly the bank had taken repossession of the property. It had a hot potato on its hands and it wanted to get rid of it. Um, you know, and, and you were the first buyer that came along and despite the evaluator's uh, opinion and, and uh, the opinion it expressed to the bank as its client, the bank said, we're going to grant this loan and we're going to get this property off our books. So certainly that document could be of great benefit to you in taking this further. I'm just worried a bit about, um, um, about prescription because obviously we've only got three years from the date that this particular concern arose. So that's a year and a half, it's three and a half years now, basically mm. from when he signed that. But isn't it from when you become aware of the problems? It's, it could be from the date it arose, or the date it became aware. He became so aware of it last year when he started trying to get a top up. Then, it's, then he's well in time. Because if, he's, if he only became aware of all this underhanded stuff last year, then he would, I mean, would that cons constitute he was aware only last year of all that the would, funny business? That would be business? the date. Uh, the, that would interrupt the prescription process mm. and allow to restart de novo at new as of that date when it came to his attention. So that's fine. Um, just to just suppose elaborate upon what that means is we've only got a couple of years from the date something arose, if somebody owes us money, or the date that it came to our attention, in which to take action. It's very similar to the statute of limitations in America. Yeah. It sounds all nice and fancy. Um, so there's a stay of execution. It's the same thing in this country. It means you, they can't attach your property. It sounds a lot more exotic than that. But you've got three years from the day it came to your attention. So in short, if you're going to do something, do it now. Do it now and get the bank involved and get the ombudsman involved. I think it would be a very inexpensive way of getting somebody of authority who looks at the banks and the actions of the banks. And, Chanel, you must make the point that you only became aware of all this funny business last year because that was when well, am i correct in thinking you only realized what all what was going on when you applied for the top-up loan yes and uh, uh i've been i've approached the bank several times oh, no no don't no don't go to the bank because they're not going to really help you terribly much i don't think you need to go to the yes, banking on board and, okay. and, uh, but and another thing that i found out on my on my file mm -hmm. it's a free hand drawn sketch a free and bronze quotes that if it doesn't even resemble the structure of the house that I'm currently seeing. Oh, okay, okay, with, with, with a stamp that, uh, for, uh, of the lawyer who did the transfer of mm. the bank. Wow. Okay. I, 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 because when I asked them questions, they said they don't necessarily care about the plan of the house. But surprisingly, I asked them, what is this sketch doing in my file if you, you were not interested in the plan of the house? Okay, so now what I'm going to do, I've got your email address, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to email you contact details for the banking ombud, and then I suggest you get in touch with them. Okay. All right. Oh, I wish you I good luck with this. It sounds a dreadful story, but thank you for getting through to us this evening. Good night oh, to you. Uh, okay. Thank All right. You, Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Right. Quinton in Kales River. Good evening. Quinton? Hello. Hello. Quinton, are you there? Was it something oh, I said? Must have been. <laughs> No, I don't know. We seem to have lost Quentin. We'll, we'll get him back now. But this is the problem, though. I mean, how savvy do we have to be when we try? I mean, we expect big businesses to kind of look out for the little guys. But this is why, don't we? This is why the Consumer Protection Act has come out. This is why mm. the National Credit Act has come out, is to protect those lay consumers. 
And, I mean, this predates the, the Consumer Protection Act, and this is exactly why it's there. It's instances like these that just remind us that in, a, in our country, the majority of people are not literate. And because of that, people enter into these transactions, are guided by banks, are guided by lawyers, are guided by state agents, and assume that everything is above board. And this story is, for me, is extremely concerning. I like the fact that they had a little course on how to manage your home loan, but it would be nice if they had one how to actually go into the whole house buying thing. So maybe they should have two courses, one before you actually sign the thing and one after you've signed the thing, not just let you do it all and then say, oh, by the way, we want our money back, so now you better come and learn how to pay us properly. You know, that fine, but, how? you know, it, it seems a little bit backwards to me. But anyway, I think we have Quinton back on the line. Quinton, are you there? Hi, Dean. Thank hi, you for hi. your efficient uh, team there. Uh, I want to also personally, before I talk about my property problem, thank the team the the day team especially that uh, and the night team but for a matter where i spoke to the minister of justice on air they actually found me to uh, they heard about my case the week before and they said the minister of justice coming in next week so i said please phone me because i'm going to forget anyway we got hold of the minister of justice on air and he flew down his uh, head of forensics mr now paul now from pretoria and then he took me for lunch and he sent on two other representatives I then proved to them that the transcripts were tampered with at Regional Court 3 in uh, Quint Gordon. Quinton, I'm sure we're not actually sure what this, this wasn't the same program. So we, we're a little bit out no, of the loop here. No, we're not quite sure what, no, what this was no. all about. But do you have a question for my attorneys about property rental? I'm going to ask him right now. I just want to okay. ask him, does his company handle matters like that whereby I can sue the Minister of Police and Justice? Is it to do with property? I'm just asking about, I'm going on to the property subject. No, no I'm the, but, but he deals specifically with property law. Mm. That's why I'm asking oh, you. Oh, okay, okay. No, fine. Okay, I'll go into the property thing okay. now. But thank you, FM, for uh, standing by with me uh, on that matter, and I won the case anyway. Um, yes, what I wanted to ask you, I've got, I've got a property in Observatory where I'm the executor of. I then received an eviction order from City Council, to cut a long story short. Uh, um, I had corresponded to them and told them I've got some problems with some tenants on the property that they've moved in illegally and all that. So I was really glad when they proposed to me that they were going to evict the tenants. I said, hallelujah, that's an answer to a prayer. Uh, okay, they then sent me an eviction order. But unfortunately, my name was on the, uh, <clears throat> as the uh, defendant, you know, um, and uh, and all uh, that whole title there under. Now, I don't live on the premises. I'm living in Kailsrover. And uh, so anyway, I said to him, okay, I want, I sent him an affidavit to say I want to defend the uh, eviction order because I, I wanted people out there and so on. They're dressing up the place, we laid two criminal charges for breaking and entering and damage to property, etc., and stealing all our furniture and all that. So I was very glad. And they got the eviction order, but now my name is also on the eviction order as being evicted. And also it states furthermore that by, that's by next year that the people should be out. They've now also said that if my furniture, my furniture, not their furniture, the, the, the other people, if my furniture is not removed within 30 days after the people have uh, removed themselves or been evicted, then the, they will then attach my furniture and then keep it in custody. If I haven't come to fetch it, then they will sell it to defray expenses. Quinton, can, can I interrupt you quickly? In fact, I heard you earlier tonight on the radio. You spoke about Kingfisher, if I remember correctly. Oh, Kingfisher walk up. That was, uh, was that another right? situation. Okay, yeah. but there was you on the radio earlier, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yes. Actually, I was listening was to the show earlier on. Yes, yes, I heard you earlier on at about seven-ish or so. Um, look, obviously, there's been a mistake here. You're the owner of the property. Yes. And the way an eviction works is very, very simple. If I represent the owner and I'm going to go after the tenant, I will cite the tenant 
as the defendant and all those occupying through him or holding title under him. Because yes. that's a catchphrase that we use to get rid of everyone mm -hmm. who chooses to reside there with or without your permission. Yeah. Um, the fact that you were cited incorrectly is, is a bad, bad error. I don't know which law firm did that eviction, but uh, if you wanted to... <laughs> rather than rather than say, but the question oh. is this: you you um, you would have given instructions to your lawyers to evict your tenant, correct? Um, actually, I didn't give instructions. City Council they appointed their lawyer. That I so, don't understand. Oh, this is one of those nuisance building things, oh, that, I would imagine. Uh, Dennis, this is not a traditional eviction. This is one of those um, in terms of the bylaws that the city council can declare mm. the building to be dilapidated or and problem the, buildings problem building so if the city council was doing that it's they obviously the city council have made a tremendous error yes, because yes. they've cited you as the person who um who must leave even though you're not in occupation of the property so yeah. that is uh, and i heard you earlier on talking to to the previous lady who was on the, the lady, radio and, the I, lady, and yeah. I was thinking what are you talking about <laughs> And I didn't get it, and I thought, how fortuitous that I see your name come up on the, okay. as a caller here. That's so perfect. I don't know what type of eviction it was brought, because it was obviously not in terms of the normal eviction laws of this country. Secondly, yeah. the fact that they got to the next year to leave clearly shows that you're not with the right lawyers, because we usually get them out in two to three months. But that's besides the point. Yeah. I think what you need to do is you need to get me or get Karen a copy of the order. Mm -hmm. um, any property that's at the premises, if it's your property, it cannot be attached to settle a debt owing by the tenants. Allegedly an enclosed tip on, on the property and they cited that as number two that they're going to demolish that although we had submitted plans and city council when they moved across the road the Cape Town they then lost the plans and now they're holding me liable for plans that they've lost and, and that was uh, you know uh, approved at the time so uh, I don't know why they would cite both of these matters together in, in one case number because it's like different situations and that's probably why my name was put amongst the, the, the defendants. Look, know? if the municipality want money from you because you owe electricity and even though it's on the name of the tenant, you always remain liable in terms of the Municipalities Act. But I can tell you now, I do 40 evictions a month and I've never heard of this in my life. <laughs> I would be enchanted if you would get me a copy of the documents that you receive from the municipality and I would be happy to look at it and give some advice to sure. Karen to put on Facebook maybe. Well, Quinton, can you, can you possibly email the stuff through to me? I will I'll do what best I can. I am actually blind, so it's a bit of a hassle. So if I can maybe leave my number with the gentleman, then when I have help, but tomorrow we can just get your details or just an SMS. Well, I will appreciate that. Okay, fine. We do have but, your number, Quentin. I will okay. SMS you the information. And and I, I just yeah, would like I'll, to see the legislation okay. that the City Council used in order to get this order and okay. for what yes. basis you Do you are, think there's something more to this? Maybe they want to uh, attach the property as uh, what you call it as uh, being delicted, seeing that I'm going to be evicted and I'm not allowed on the property. Uh, does it seem mm -hmm. to that? Because there was a, a water and electricity bill. But I they, don't know how an owner can be evicted from his own property. Yeah. Yeah. There's one thing I want to ask you. Can you look into this, please? Because when you read these eviction orders, they speak about land. And uh, this law was intended for people that were squatting on land, like in, in the 76 riots when crossroads uh, uh, were bulldozed and the whole uh, international world came. And that is how the old government uh, got uh, victimized and uh, removed. Because that is why this law was brought in. So if you can look into that law, because a private residence. Uh, trust me, I've looked into it and I've made proposals. Yeah, it's the. It's the famous Prevention of Illegal Eviction from and Unlawful Occupation of Land Act of 1998. 
Yeah. Yes, but, but no, it's, it's a terrible act. regularly every month. There was a, a, a three weeks ago, a policeman shot his colleague who was renting a room in his house and didn't want to pay. Uh, you're living sometimes with people that are drug addicts and uh, other drugs or alcohol or selling drugs even, and you got to go and mingle with those people, and then the police, their hands are tied. They say they haven't got a, uh, what do you call it, uh, to search the place or whatever, and I had to go and remove the people myself in a okay. very nice, mm-hmm. but uh, without beating up anybody. So, Quinta, I'll tell you what, get uh-huh. that documentary to Karen. Okay. Uh, let me have a look at it, and I'll give some advice to see if we can give some clarity to it. Okay, I will SMS you, Quentin, with the fax number tomorrow morning. Oh, appreciate it. Okay. You know where to send Thank the bill, eh? <laughs> 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 Thank, <laughs> Thank you for getting through to us. Thank you. I'll SMS you in the morning. Sure. Thanks, Quentin. Good night to you. Another yeah. weird, I mean, but tonight seems, maybe it's Frank. Maybe you bring all the weird, <laughs> weird, weird stories out it's, here, Frank. It's, it's these stories, though, that, that are, you know, the hidden stories. It's easy to talk about theory and facts mm. and the law. But, but this is what's really happening. The stories that, that need to be addressed on a show mm. like this. Absolutely. You sort of think, gosh, now, maybe I shouldn't ever think of buying or selling anything. Ever I, try, again. I try not to dissuade people from buying, but... Uh, I'm, you've made me nervous now. <laughs> you tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is The Law Report. My guests tonight are Marlon Chevalu, an attorney practicing in Cape Town, as Marlon Chevalu and Associates, and Frank Holland, an attorney and conveyancer, also practicing in Cape Town, as Frank Holland and Associates. And this evening, we're discussing property law and conveyancing. If you have any questions, you can call us on 0892-102010. Petrus in Soweto, good evening. Oh, good evening, how are you? Very well, how are you? I'm fine. How can we help you? Yes, I did phone last week. I've got the, the copies here. My property was sold in 2008 by the sheriff of the court and uh, the, 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 the state agency was Utumo Trading. Right, I remember the story, but these uh, Frank and Marlon weren't here last week, so just briefly tell them what the story is. Yes, my, my, my property was sold in uh, 2008, and I didn't receive any surplus from them. I've got all the copies here on me. So basically your, your house was repossessed by the bank, is that correct? Yes, and, and the they bank then just do more trading. Okay, and you have not received anything from that transaction at all, Frank? You know... Yes. Um, Petrus, the uh, the general principle in in uh, a sale by the sheriff of the court is that the net proceeds of sale are paid directly to the sheriff. What I suggest you do, if you've got all the copies and the documentation there, is review yep. that to see who the conveyancing attorneys were, which firm of attorneys passed transfer, and you should be entitled to a final statement of account, which will reflect what amounts were owing at the time that the proceeds became available? Yeah, I've got it here on me. Okay, and, and, and what does that reflect in terms of uh, the proceeds that were available on the transfer of the property? The property at that time was uh, 36000 that I, I owe them. Yeah. They sell it for one ninety five. Mm-hmm. Yes, and they have to give me 80000 but they send me from post to pillar. He hasn't got anything out of it now. That doesn't sound right no. at all, Petrus. If uh, if there was a surplus, it would have been paid to the sheriff of the court, but the sheriff, once all the creditors had been settled, has an obligation, of course, to pass any surplus to you. So you need to I've then... Got, I've got the, the, the letter, the, 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 this copy. It is from the sheriff of the court. I okay. usually go there by the sheriff of the court, but they, they say I must go to Kempton Park to this Utumo trading. And they were the estate agents, you said? Yes. 
Okay, now what, does it say on any of those documents who the attorneys were, who the lawyers were that did all of this? I've got all the, the copies, yes, ma'am. There's the names of a lawyer on there. Uh, uh, Petrus, what I'm going to suggest that you do is, is you establish who the conveyancing attorneys were, the, the, the transferring attorneys, the attorneys that attended to the transfer of the property. Uh, it, it'll be, no doubt, on that statement of account. You'll have the details of that firm of attorneys. And attend at the Law Society. And, and, what, and, is, what is their number? Okay, the, I've got your email address. Your, no, I've got your phone number, Petrus. I'm, I'm going to call you tomorrow. And I'll, or, can you leave us? I'm going to put you back to my producer. If you can give him your email address. I will email you the details of the law society. law society. I think it's the Northern Provinces or something. Yes, I don't have an email. You can send me on my phone. Yeah. Okay, on your phone. All right, yes. I've got your number then, Petrus. We will, I will send you the details for the Law Society of the Northern Provinces, I think it's called. And okay. I think you need to get in touch with them. Yes, ma'am. All right. Okay, you'll send it tomorrow. I'll send it tomorrow for you. Oh, okay, ma'am. Okay, Petrus, thanks and good luck Th with that. Thank you, bye. Okay, bye-bye. Another one. I mean, just, Frank, it must be you. Must be. Yeah, I'm just. <laughs> I, I, I just what, what happened to that surplus funds? Uh, it would have landed in the sheriff's banking account. It's got to be accounted for. I think it's a case of just auditing that paper trail yeah. and, uh, and getting to the bottom mm. of it. And let's hope Petrus can get his surplus proceeds out. Absolutely. We're the good lawyers, just just for everyone's. No, yeah. well, yes, I'm just saying. I <laughs> we mean, had to help. Well, that, well, that was why you're well, here. Yeah. Matseko in Johannesburg. Good evening. <laughs> Hello, Karen. Hello. And the panel. Good uh, evening. How are you? Well, I hope you haven't also got a very terrible story, Motseka. They've all seem been so awful tonight. Uh, hopefully, I get to be the rest. <laughs> I hope you're going to uh, make lighten our mood a little bit. What? How can we help you this evening? Yeah, Karen. I've actually got two different stories. One basically involving a close friend of mine, and one basically the other one for myself. Okay. I've got a friend of mine who purchased the property in the Pretoria area. What's happened here is he basically purchased the property through an agent or a seller um, where he would have applied for a loan uh, through a bank. So basically what's happened here is when he initially purchased this property, um, the property hadn't been constructed or the, the house hadn't been constructed. And what the seller told him was that he would take care of everything, all the construction, everything. He was shown the drawings and all the other the, the information pertaining to the site. And he basically went ahead and signed the contract with the, with the bank. Now what's happened is that uh, it would look like some of the materials that have been used in the, in, in the property uh, are of a cheaper quality, not necessarily of a, an inferior quality compared to, to the materials that are appearing on the drawings, but they are of a cheaper quality as well as some of the rooms are a lot smaller than uh, the, the rooms as they appeared on the drawings. So what we basically wanted to find out is because obviously the, the seller or the agent would have claimed his fees based on the on the, 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 the original pro uh, property amount based on the original design. Okay, let's just get now, them, let them, let them answer that question first, Motseko, and then we can yeah. go on to your one. Uh, All right. Motseko, so, so, so you've, been, you've been sold something, then you say it's, a, it's of a quality that was inferior to that advertised. 
or you bought off plan by the by the friend bought off plan, bought off plan. and okay, when so it's now being bought the the materials are inferior and the rooms are smaller than what they were supposed to be from the plan well yeah, and, and, and and the the seller no doubt is a developer mm. am i right it's a it's a it's a it's a property development this the, this is a, um, what appears to me looks like the seller is an attorney uh, of some sort. Oh not dear, really a she's the attorneys have been in trouble tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so Matseka, well, this wasn't like yeah. a whole group of houses. Was this just one house all by itself, or was it in like a a group of houses, like a development? No, no, no just one house. Just one house. Just one okay. House. Okay. All right. But okay. but no doubt uh, from from the facts, I'm I'm gathering that this was possibly a purchase from a uh, inner development. Uh, uh, and in that instance, the Consumer Protection Act would apply, and um, there may well be recourse that uh, that your your colleague could bring in terms of the you know could could refer this matter to the National Consumer Commissioner, Section Fifty Four and Section Fifty Five of the CPA. So, uh, Matseka, okay. how long ago was this? Um, this seems to have taken place. I've got his. Uh, did of sale right in front of me here. It seems to have been signed, if you can just give me a sec there, on the 30th of May this year. Oh, this year? Okay, well then he falls within everything. Absolutely. Mm. So, so that sounds to me like a, a referral to the National Consumer Commissioner would be the way forward, um, okay. which could in fact result in the retransfer of the property to that Skeller Maternity developer. And uh, and the refund of the purchase price to your friend. Okay. And one other thing that I wanted to check with you is there seems to be what looks like a boost clause here. It's, uh, under warranties where they say the property is sold as described in the existing title deed or deed thereof and subject to all conditions and servitude, if any, attaching thereto or mentioned or referred to in the said title deed or prior deed. The seller shall not be liable for any deficiency in the extent which may be revealed on any resurvey, nor shall the seller benefit by any surplus in extent. But would that so, actually would that have any you know grounds for anything if the plans it wasn't built to what the plan said it was? Well, the, the, that the, wouldn't fall under footstool, surely, would it? If you're dealing with the developer, that footstool clause is not applicable, and it could be struck from a sale agreement. So. Uh, if your friend purchased this uh, property from a developer, that clause is pro non scripta as if it was not there. Um, but if it was yeah. a private individual that sold him the property, what you've just uh, read out to us is a classic footstool's provision. Okay, Motseko, you had a question for yourself, and we've, we haven't got much time left, so if you want to just get to your question very quickly. Yeah, my situation is that of a rental property situation where I moved into a flat about five months ago uh, where there was an existing owner and three months into the rental agreement, uh, a new owner moved in, basically bought the property and the agents were changed. And this new agent is basically charging, uh, basically changing everything, telling me that uh, my lease agreement has expired. My lease agreement, when I signed it, was for a year. So it's basically expiring sometime in 2014. And I've basically been telling them, no, my lease agreement hasn't expired. You can't be charging me. Because my rental 
uh, uh, was basically inclusive of everything, all utilities, water and light and all utilities. But the new agent is basically now telling me, no, your lease agreement has expired due to uh, the property having been transferred and you're going to be charging over and above your rental amount, utilities and, and all other charges. Matseko, Matseko, yeah. poor Marlon Chevalu, the attorney here looking at me, is having a f- complete fit. I hate this. <laughs> I, I, I hate when, when you know, Matseko, know. this is so, this is what I deal with every day, and I deal with it with such passion. The bottom line is this. Obviously, when the owner took over, there was the what we call here, gaat voor koop, which means anyone who takes over that property has to honor your lease agreement. That's the first thing. The second thing is okay. that the Consumer Protection Act, in terms of Section 14 of the Act, clearly says that, if there's going to be any termination of your lease agreement, they've got to give you 20 business days to remedy a breach. If you're paying your rental on time, and that's what the lease says, they can't cancel it. Your okay. lease will su- survive anything in that regard. With regard to changing the terms of the agreement, you cannot change the terms of the agreement unless both parties agree to it in writing and have that attached to the lease or draw up a new lease. So every single thing that you've told me from the changing of the ownership to the agent trying to dictate the terms of the lease is just completely and utterly ridiculous. And you are very, very strong in terms of your rights of occupancy. And I would be more than happy to offer some advice on how to deal with this belligerent agent and ex-owner or new owner. How's that? Okay, if you have uh, any further questions, Moseka, just drop me a mail on law at safm.co.za and I'll pass it on to Marlon because he needs to calm down. He's very upset with, with, with agents that do that sort of thing. But I must thank you very much <laughs> indeed well, for getting through. You, Karen, and, okay. uh, thank you very much and thanks for the good show and thanks to the attorneys there. It's very much appreciated. Uh, only sure. a pleasure, Moseka. Thanks for getting through. The TV Licenses Kiosk will be visiting Gateway Mall Entrance 8 from 29 October until 3 November. Our friendly staff will assist you with all your license inquiries and accept payments via cash, debit or credit card. We also have an exciting competition where you can win a 32-inch LCD TV for free. So, for quick and convenient service with your household or business TV license, pop into Gateway Mall from 29 October until 3 November. See you there. TV Licenses, making a difference. The Law Report with Karen Key. Well, it's been quite an evening tonight. We, unfortunately, there's some more callers that have been waiting to come on, but we are literally one minute to the end of the show. So I just want to thank both of you very much indeed. Um, we're going to have to do this again very soon, I think. Frank, I don't know if you brought all, all the, the, yeah. the really horror stories. Marlon, you don't have such horror stories when you hear by yourself. No, no. And I, I want to thank Frank for bringing it with him. <laughs> um, but it, it's great to be back and I feel excited and invigorated. Mm. And, uh, it was a lovely show. So thank you. Well, my thanks once again this evening to Marlon Chevalier. He's an attorney practicing in Cape Town as Marlon Chevalier and Associates and Frank Holland, an attorney and conveyancer also practicing in Cape Town, but as Frank Holland and Associates. And they've been my guests on tonight's edition of the Law Report program. Thank you both very much indeed for joining me this thanks evening. For thanks, for Thank you. The Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And in the program next week, we'll be discussing labor law with Michael Begram. That's the Law Report next Monday, the 4th of November. And I'll be back with you again 
again tomorrow evening just after nine with Health Matters, so join me then. And before we go, just a reminder that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. There's a couple of new ones, so if you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook, but please remember to include your email address so I can send them to you, or you could just pop me a mail on law at safm.co.za.